open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. If you did not bring a Bible with you today, please see a seat in front of you. There should be one pretty close by under a seat in front of you, a dark uh, black Bible, hard-covered Bible there, please take that. If you do not own a Bible, please take that with you when you go home. We'd like to have you have a copy of God's Word, be reading it regularly. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, uh, we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for us to go through it. So we go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. For the past several months, we've been in the book of Hebrews, past several weeks, in Hebrews 11. The Hall of Faith, many call it, and we're going to continue our study this morning in verse 30. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This is referring back to the story recorded for us in Joshua chapter 6. The, the nation of Israel has been rescued from Egypt. They've been traveling in the wilderness 40 years. They have crossed over the Jordan River. And the only thing standing now between them and pursuing their, their promise of the promised land is this massive city of Jericho. Walled completely around on all sides. The wall huge and massive. Completely impenetrable to this band of, of former slaves that have been wandering around in the wilderness now. They're not warriors. They're not soldiers. But God has called them to this. And as we see, as we continue to study through this faith chapter, we'll see several things this morning that faith does. And the first thing that we want to look at this morning is the fact that faith defeats the unconquerable. What stood before them was completely unconquerable. It was strategically positioned. The Canaanites placed this right here, close to the Jordan River. You get across the Jordan River, you're going to be in a battle. You can't retreat. The river's behind you. They have you right where they want you. And here is this massive fortress. And again, these, these Israelites, they're not trained for war. They're not trained for battle. They haven't grown up learning all of the, tr the tricks of the trade. But I got to imagine that they were thinking, well, there's a few things we could do here. We could build a siege ramp. Heard about that before. We could, we, could, we could guard so that nothing goes in or goes out, and we could starve them out. We could try that. We could get a battering ram. We could knock the, the, a hole in the wall. We could knock the front gates down. We could try to dig under the wall. Got to think a lot of those things are going through their mind. But God spoke to Joshua, and he gave him very clear instructions on how they are to take these walls down. He said, for six days, you are to encircle the city one time. He gave specific instructions as to where the soldiers were to go, where the priests were to go, where the ark was to go. And he said, while the priests are blowing their trumpets during this time, I don't want any conversation. I don't want you talking. I don't want you doing anything. You just walk around the circle or rock, walk around the city one time, go back to camp. Six days. On the seventh day, you walk around the city seven times. And then when the time is done after the seventh time, the priests will blow their horns. Everybody shout and scream at the top of the lungs, and the walls will come down. That's God's battle plan. Forty years previously, the, the children of Israel had gotten to this point where they were ready to cross over, and they, they sent some spies out into the land to check it all out. And the report came back, and they said, there's giants over there. These guys are huge. They're massive. They're warriors. We'll be destroyed by them. We're by like grasshoppers to them. Well, Moses rebuked them. God threw Moses rebuking them, and he didn't rebuke them because they were lying. 
He didn't rebuke them because they were over-exaggerating. No, these are giants over there. They are. They're well-trained in battle. What he rebuked them for was their lack of faith, not believing in the word of God. Here we are 40 years later, and they've learned their lesson. They're going to believe in God. They are going to trust God. They are going to follow exactly the plan that God lays out, whether they completely understand it or not. I got to think there were several times during that time, a guy walks around the city, he gets done and thinking, okay, plan's got to change now. We've done this three days in a row. Nothing's happening. Fourth day, back to camp. Okay, what God said, we're going to do it. Today's report, gang, the fight that we're in today, is against a very real enemy. The people that they faced back then were a very real enemy. It was a very real city. Well, we face a very real enemy in our battle today. And it is an unconquerable foe in our own strength. We fight a very different kind of enemy. We don't fight flesh and blood. Our enemy is invisible. We can't see them. They don't fight fair. They're... they're very well-trained and well-armed. They've been doing this for thousands of years. They know what works, and they use it. How, how can we battle this enemy? How can we have victory the same way the Israelites did? By following God's word and having faith. Turn with me, if you would, back a few chapters to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. I would like to encourage you little homework that you could do. Read all of Ephesians 6, especially verses 10 through 17, talking about the armor of God that we are all to put on, make sure that we all have on regularly, daily, all the time as we fight this spiritual battle. But I want to draw your attention to verse 16. Ephesians 6, verse 16. One particular piece of this armor. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. If we are carrying the shield of faith in battle, the word of God tells us how many arrows of the enemy will get through. None. None. It says it will extinguish all the flaming arrows. We need to take this shield of faith into our battle continually, regularly. The Bible tells us that we are to resist our enemy, firm in the faith. We follow God's battle plan as it's laid out for us in the word. Victory is guaranteed. It is certain just as it was for the Israelites here. The only difficulty, listen, the only difficulty that God has ever had in any battle in the history of the world is getting his own people to follow his plan. That is the only time defeat ever comes. God's plan, when followed, has never lost. It can't. So let's get real practical. How do we battle these insurmountable objects that are in our way, in our walk, in our life. The Bible has the answers for it all, very specifically, very laid out very practically for each and every one of us. Let's just look at, at interpersonal relationships this morning. We don't have time. We could make a whole study out of this, this one thing here. We might someday. But th this morning, for the sake of time, 
Just our, just our relationships with one another. Amongst Christians, brothers and sisters. Amongst husbands and wives. Parents and children. The enemy, like I said, does not fight fair. One of his favorite weapons, one of the favorite, his favorite arrows to be shooting is to cause division between us as Christians, between husbands and wives, between parents and children. He loves to do that. So we grab our shield of faith and we go to what God's word tells us. We're going to go back a few verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's find out what God's word tells us as to how we're supposed to deal with problems between us. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's it. You have a problem with someone else. You have, you have difficulty with someone else where there is a wall between you. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That word subject is an interesting word. It means to arrange yourself under, to subordinate yourself. To place yourself under. It's a military term used in the Greek, and it was required in the military. You didn't have a choice. You placed yourself under your commanding officer. But when used outside of military jargon or term, terminology in the Greek, it meant it, it must be voluntary. You must choose to place yourself underneath someone else's authority or someone else. Paul outlines this for us beautifully in Philippians 2, verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Now, compared to the world's strategy on how you win friends and influence people, that is not at all the way the world tells you to do it. You are to control people. You are to stay on top of people. You, you take control. God's word says you submit yourself to one another. You consider one another as more important than yourself. The enemy's going to draw back this fiery arrow and let the arrow fly, but they hurt you. They said something behind your back to someone else. They've gossiped about you. You hold on to the shield of faith, and you do not let that arrow get through because the Word of God says that I am to subject myself to that person regardless of what they've said to me, regardless of what they've done to me or said about me. Wives, verse 22. Dealing with a husband-wife relationship. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. But what if he's a total jerk? We are. All of us. Guys, we are. We are. God does not put, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord unless they're a jerk. It's not in there. But that's the arrow the enemy is going to love to fire at you. And you need to hold the shield of faith and you do not let that through. I'm going to do what God's word tells me to do. Husbands. Verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, but she's, she's, just, she's just not lovable. Read it again. Because the enemy's going to fire this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us when we were completely and totally unlovable. 
shield of faith. Husbands, wives, you want to tear down that insurmountable wall between you? You both take up the shield of faith and you follow what God's word says exactly the way he says it. You don't get to pick and choose and shuffle around. I don't like this. There were probably some guys that woke up with blisters on day three, but they got up and they walked around the city anyway because God said to. Children, chapter six, verse one. Any kids in here? Obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. And all the parents said? (laughs) Which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Kids, if you're in here, listen to me. I know it. I know it. I understand it. I, I get it. My parents don't understand me. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. But you honor your parents anyway. You honor your parents anyway. And God's promise is that he will bless you and he will bless your family. Parents, don't drive your kids nuts. It says that right here. (laughs) Verse 4. Fathers, moms too, it says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I have kids of my own. It's difficult. But with the shield of faith, And with the word of God, we can have victory in this. We can have families that are different from the families that are out there in the world. We can have relationships amongst each other that makes us stand out as we're supposed to stand out. Jesus said they're going to know us. Those out there are going to know us by our love. But the statistics show that families break up just as much inside the church as they do outside. It shouldn't be that way, gang. Employees, verse 5, be obedient to those who are your masters. Yeah, but I got passed over for that promotion. Shield of faith. You go back to work tomorrow and you double your efforts. You work even harder. Not to get a promotion, not just when your boss is looking, but because you work for Christ. You take the shield of faith in the word of God and you move out. And you watch him destroy those walls those insurmountable objects that are in your workplace. Employers, bosses, those who own your own businesses. Verse 9, do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their masters and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. You're only where you are in your position because God blessed you there. You stand on equal ground with all of your employees before God. Having trouble with your employees, you follow the word of God and you take the shield of faith. These are just a few examples. The Bible's full of it. You're dealing with financial struggles, health issues, all of that. It's all here. It's all here. Taking the shield of faith, we move forward in that. Again, the only obstacle, the only thing standing between you and victory is your unwillingness to follow God's plan. That's it. That's it. So we see that Faith defeats the unconquerable. Well, verse 31, it says, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. 
to see this story, we've got to back up a few chapters even in Joshua to Joshua chapter 2. The Israelites, they had crossed the Jordan River, faced this insurmountable object in the city of Jericho. They sent a couple of spies in, and the spies meet up with a prostitute in town named, named Rahab. She protects them. She guards them so, and gets them out of the city safely. In exchange, she said, please remember me when you guys come back because she said, I know you guys are going to win. You guys are going to come and conquer us, but please rescue me and my family. And that was the agreement. You know, it's interesting, fascinating, really, when you see this. Because verse 31 here, again, we're walking through the hall of faith. And while we as Christians today look back at this and we have the the incredible word of God preserved for us, this was written by Jewish people for Jewish people, if you remember, with the book of Hebrews. Understand that one of the prayers for scribes and, and a lot of Jewish people still to this day, men, they pray in the morning, God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, that I'm not a Gentile, and that I'm not a slave. And here we see that this can only be showing the, the, that God is the author of Scripture because here we have a prostitute, a Gentile in the hall of faith. We're, again, we're walking through and we see all of these incredible people that God has outlined in, the, in, the, in his word here. Moses and Noah and Abraham and all that. And we come to Rahab, the Gentile prostitute. And we can say, oh man, that's, that's kind of embarrassing, really. That's not embarrassing. It's glorious. Why? Because it shows that God's mercy is available to anyone who will receive it. We can stand here and be all, all that. Yeah, I'm in it because, you know, God picked a good team. I, you know, whatever. We got to realize we can't look down on anybody. We're all bags of dirt. Saved by grace. Every one of us. None of us deserve anything that we've received from the Lord. We see here that faith not only defeats the unconquerable, but faith redeems the unlovable. All of us in this room, I don't mean to knock you down a peg. Yes, I do. You're unlovable. (laughs) In and of yourself, there's nothing to love. But God pours out his mercy on us. You see, Rahab, when she was talking to the spies, you can read it in chapter 2. She said, all of us, everyone in Jericho knows that there is a God that is real and he's on your side. We see it. We've heard about it. We understand it. And everybody in here is scared to death. But of all of the people in Jericho, Rahab was the only one that said, I want what you have. I want to follow that God. The rest of them stood in their pride and their arrogance and took their own chances. The mercy of God is available to anyone who will receive it. And I have a feeling that in a group this size, that there are some Rahabs here this morning who have followed the world, who have 
chased after the things of the world, whether that's, that's drugs, whether that's alcohol, whether that's sexual sin, homosexuality, uh, any other type of sexual sin, pornography, chasing after the things. You've done it your way all this time and you are empty. You realize that, that you've been chasing after this and there's something else out there. The spies that were sent into Jericho, they met up with Rahab. That was not an accident. God ordained that meeting. And you are here this morning not by accident. You are here this morning because God has something you need to hear. And that is, he loves you. Yeah, but I'm not lovable. You, you don't know you don't know about my past. You don't know the, the, the life that I'm in right now. You're right, I don't, but he does. And like I've already said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because we somehow earned it or we somehow cleaned ourselves up and got our act straight. No, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he died for us. And he died for you. I don't... I don't know anything about any of your personal situations, but I've been praying for you this week. And I believe that God has brought you here this morning, whoever you are. And I would like to ask that all of us here this morning would just take a moment, if you would bow your heads with me in prayer, and Christians here, those of you who have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior already, please pray. But those of you right now that are here, that you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, that the words that I'm speaking, these are not my words. God's speaking directly to your heart. That you're, that you're convicted over your lifestyle, over the sin in your life. And you're tired of running from God. You want to run to him. You're tired of doing this your own way. You want to do it his way. If that is you here this morning, I would like to ask that you just slip your hand up and I'd like to pray with you right now. Anyone at all that says, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing this my way. That is you. Simply go before the Lord, and I'm going to just lead you in a, in a prayer. And it's not the words that save you. It's your heart right now, crying out to him. Simply, simply say from your heart, God, I know that I am a sinner, and the way that I've been choosing to live my life to this point does not please you. But I'm empty, and I know it, and I need you. And I believe that, that Jesus died for me and paid the penalty for my sin. So right here, right now, I don't understand it all, but I understand it needs to change. So I, I turn from my sin, and I turn to you, Jesus, and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. Help me do that. In Jesus' name. God is good. We know the truth, and the truth has set us free. Amen? We see a beautiful example here of how faith redeems the unlovable. What a beautiful picture. I'm so glad God included Rahab in the hall of faith. Do you know that this isn't her only mention? We see in the, in the chronology of Jesus that she's listed in that. 
That's how great God is. Jesus himself is an ancestor of Rahab. Wow. Well, as we move on, chapter 11, verse 32. It says, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Wow. That's faith in action. We see all of these incredible men and all of these, these stories. He, does, he says, I don't have time to go into all of them. He could re, you know, we could go on and on and on for weeks on end talking about all of these amazing men in their faith. And we see one more thing here again that faith does. It taps into the unimaginable. This power that, can, that comes from God is tapped into by faith. Faith is not some magical force. Faith connects us to the almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe. It taps into that amazing power. And we look at this list of men here that did that, and they're kind of the who's who of superheroes in the Old Testament, talking about kingdoms being conquered and shutting the mouths of lions, Daniel in the lion's den, and he's in there and they they don't touch him, and, and Quenching fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go into the the fiery furnace and aren't touched by any of the fire. Incredible men of faith, foreign armies fleeing from before them. Like, wow. The ones that he lists by name, some of them, David, completely outmatched. Young kid going up against this incredible giant warlord, Goliath. Completely outmatched. Gideon. He's outnumbered 300 to 135,000. And he goes and has an amazing victory. Barak, it tells us that the enemy that he was facing that day had 900 iron chariots. He had none. Completely outgunned. Yet they had amazing total victory. And we look at these guys and we say, man, I wish that I could be like that. I wish that I had faith like that. I wish I had power and strength like that. God must have picked those guys because they were something special. You know what was special about them? It tells us in verse 34. It says, from weakness were made strong. From weakness were made strong. David, this young boy, He didn't go to Saul and say, I am one strong kid. I might look like a little kid, but man, I tore a lion's head off. I defeated a bear with my bare hands. I'm going to go do the same thing to this Philistine. No. He said, the Lord delivered me from a lion. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the bear. And the Lord is going to deliver me from this Philistine. It's not by my power, by my strength, but by his spirit. That's how we're going to get this done. That's what David said. Gideon. We talked about Gideon a couple of weeks ago. There's a, there's a man of powerful faith. God, show me a sign. Show me another one. Okay, just one more. Okay, if you don't mind, how about just one more? Barak. Okay, here's a guy. 
looks out over the enemy. They got 900 iron chariots. And he went out and had victory against them. Man, that is, that is, that's one strong guy right there. He had to have powerful faith. He did. But you know what? The, the, the prophetess, Deborah, said, you go out and you claim victory. And you know what he said? I will, but if you go with me. <laughs> These incredible men of faith, their strength was in their weakness. Hudson Taylor said this, and I love this, the, the, the missionary to China. He said, when God wanted to open up inland China to the gospel, he looked around for a man weak enough for the task. I like that. And God wants to open up the city of surprise to men and women that are weak enough for the task. Faith requires two things. First of all, it requires the fact that we recognize our own weakness. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Understand what that means. If we are moving out and we think, okay, because of some strength or gift or talent that I have, I have an advantage already, we have to understand that we are completely unqualified. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to recognize that we recognize our own weakness to begin with. But secondly, we need to lay hold of God's strength. Because though apart from him we can do nothing, the Bible tells us that in him we can do everything. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Why? Because he can do all things. It's not some some crazy math formula to figure out. Because he can do all things, we can do all things in him. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O oh Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you, God. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that nothing is too difficult for God? Well, if you do, are you praying for something in your life that is so far beyond your ability that if God doesn't show up, you will fail miserably? Are you? We should. We should all be praying for that. We should all be moving towards a direction that if God doesn't come in, we're, we're, we're a wreck. God wants to do that kind of work in us. God wants to use us in that way. And we should all be praying that way, individually, personally, and joining together and doing that as a church. My prayer, and God, God just continues to show things to me as to what he wants us to do as a church and it is so far beyond my abilities and our abilities it scares me and I think that's where he wants us if God doesn't show up and do what only he can do we will fail miserably that's faith that's what David did that's what Gideon did. That's what Barak did. Not moving out in their own faith, but admitting their total weakness and trusting in God's total strength. 
I think I've shared with you before, my little boy, Zach, one of the things that he has said that he wants to do when he grows up is he wants to be a missionary. And do you know where his mission field that he desires to go is? Hollywood. <laughs> I, I, God bless that little guy, and I pray God does that. They need, they need some serious evangelism. That, 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 that requires faith, the faith of a child right now, and I pray as he grows up, it just gets stronger. We all need that kind of, we all need to be praying that. And I know, it's scary. I get it. What if, what if God calls me to go to Africa, to be a missionary there? Or what if he calls me to go someplace even scarier, like Valley Vista High School? to do a work there? What if God calls me to start a Bible study in my own neighborhood, to invite my unsaved neighbors to to have a Bible study in my home? That work is so far beyond you, you can't possibly do it unless God shows up. But that's what he's calling us to do. That's, That's where he wants us to be. Guys, we are surrounded in our neighborhoods, surrounded in this church with a tremendous amount of prisoners of war. The enemy has them behind the enemy lines. They're lost. They're going to hell. They're prisoners of war. And Jesus said to his disciples, when Peter made the confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, Peter, on that rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are called to go knock down the gates of hell and bring out the prisoners of war. It's a battlefield out there. And we can sit in here and and be all nice and cozy with each other and, and, and encourage one another. And that's an important part of what we do. But we are called to so much more. But it requires great faith. It requires faith like these people had. Now, before we do it out there, before, before we go down and out and shut the mouths of lions and quench the power of fire and escape the edge of the sword and become mighty in war, set armies to flight, before we do it out there, we have to do it in here. The work has to be done in here first. Notice it says in verse 33, who said by faith, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises. There needs to be some acts of righteousness that take place in us. We need to, before we go out there and shut the mouths of lions out there, we need to shut the mouths of lions of gossip right here. We need to shut the mouth of foul language right now in ourselves. Before we we go out and quench the fire out there, we need to quench the fire of lust in our hearts. We need to escape the edge of the sword of anger in our life. We need to become mighty in the war against addiction, whatever that might be. We need to put foreign armies to flight. James tells us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. That work needs to happen in us. 
before we go out there and conquer out there. Well, it takes spectacular faith. But in that, we get unimaginable results when we tap into this unimaginable power. Well, it continues our, our text. Second half of verse 35, it says, And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. We just got done looking at this group of men, powerful faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Now we come to a group of, of men who were destitute. They had nothing. They were, they were sick. They, were, they had horrible things that faced them. We saw these great men of faith. This list must be a bunch of guys who didn't have very much faith. Or so you would think if you watched a lot of televangelism today. The prosperity gospel, the health and wealth. If, if, if you don't have what you're asking for, it's because you don't have enough faith. If, if you're without a job right now, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you're suffering affliction right now, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's what you hear. That's what's out there right now. That's what's being propagated a lot of places. But look what it says in verse 39. And all these having gained approval through their faith. I have to say, this list requires more faith than the previous list. This list requires a deeper sense of faith than I think a lot of us get to. You see, we have to understand that sometimes God gives the power through faith for us to go through incredible difficulties instead of being delivered from them. This is a great list of, of men and women of faith who went through great suffering. We see the disciples, the 12 that were closest to Jesus. All of them were, were tortured because of their faith. All of them except John were martyred because of their faith. All it would have taken was for them to say, we made the whole thing up. Back off. But they didn't. Their faith strengthened moment by moment to endure whatever they went through. Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, outlines for us, he was scourged five times. He was beaten numerous times. He was thrown in prison numerous times, shipwrecked. All of these things because he had a lack of faith? Not hardly. The prophet Zechariah, stoned in the temple because of a lack of faith? No, he was the mouthpiece of God. Isaiah, it doesn't tell us in Scripture, but church history tells us that he's fleeing from the, the, the wicked king who wants to have him killed. He hides inside of a hollow tree. The king finds out he's in there, and he cuts the tree in half with Isaiah in it, sawn in two. A lack of faith? John the Baptist, beheaded in prison. Job, all of the things. Job lost everything. It wasn't because of a lack of faith. He kept his faith through it all. He lost his family. He lost his home. He lost his, all of his flocks. He lost everything. He lost his health. All of it in a day. And he kept his faith through it. 
I, I look at this list and I, I think of these people and I, I, I have to be honest. I'm embarrassed by the way that I complain about the difficulties in my life. I can only imagine the complaint department in heaven. I'm going to show up there one day and I got my list. And I'm going to say, you know what? I dedicated my business to the Lord. I gave it to him. And I ended up losing my business and I lost all of my savings because of that. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm complain. I'm going to step up there and I look up and there's Job. Never mind. <laughs> forget, I, forget, I'm in the wrong line. Hey, sorry. Oh man, my back is really bothering me. Man, my elbow. I could do so much more for God if he'd just heal me. And look, oh, there's Isaiah standing there beside himself. Sorry. <laughs> what I consider difficulties and trials compared to what they went through. Now, please hear me. I am not making light of any of your situations. I read your prayer requests. My heart breaks for you. I pray for you. We have a team praying for you. Very real difficulties, very real challenges, very real issues. But we, as these, need to move forward in faith. You see, faith navigates the unthinkable. It allows us to get through things that we could never imagine we could get through. God might heal you. He might not. God might restore your job or your home or your finances. He might not. God might reconcile a relationship. He might not. But faith navigates through that regardless. As with these, we need to trust in God. We need to trust in his word. That word that says here, having gained approval, that means having a testimony. Them going through everything that they did, trusting in God, gave them an amazing testimony. Hear what the word of God says for us as we go through this. John 16, Jesus, his own word says, In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You're going to have it. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties, but take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. Paul said, Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul, along the same line, 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. Paul is writing, the one who was scourged five times, beaten, thrown in prison, shipwrecked, all of that, momentary light affliction, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. This eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul 
Isaiah, Job, John the Baptist, Zechariah, all of these that we're talking about here, I guarantee you right now, the weight of glory that they are experiencing right now far outweighs anything they went through here. They don't regret a moment of what happened because they're with Jesus and will be forever as you and I will be. Faith is trusting completely in God's word, not leaning on our own understanding, but trusting completely in it. God sometimes will give us an explanation. He will reveal to us why we're going through difficulties, but hear me, he is not required to do that. And faith does not require that he does. If, if we ask, God, why am I going through this, and he doesn't reveal it, we just say, all right, Lord, I'm going to continue to move forward in this, knowing that you're going to lead, you're going to navigate. Most of us won't be asked to go through this type of, of trial and tribulation that's outlined for it. Some of us might be. Some of us might have to go through this. But regardless, we need to navigate by faith. Well, lastly, verse 39. All, these, all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Here we see that faith testifies to the unfathomable, something that we can't even comprehend. It says that they did not receive the promise. What are they talking about? They were looking for the Messiah, and the Messiah did not come in their lifetime. What they had was a shadow. They continued to look forward to the coming Messiah, the promised one that God promised was coming. While they had a shadow, we have the substance. We have, we have the substance in Christ. We have the security in the Holy Spirit within us. They had something really good, this promise that was ahead of them. But we have so much better. They stood on the promise side of Calvary looking forward. We stand on the resurrection side of Calvary. And because of that, should our testimony be any less than theirs? I, I read again through this, and again, I'm not making light of any situation, but I look at this and I say, man, all of the complaining and belly aching I do, forgive me, Lord. Let me be a testimony of how great you are and the promises that lie ahead of me in, in heaven because of what you did for me. The Phillips translation of this says, all these won a glowing testimony to their faith. Our faith testifies to this unexplainable thing, that God himself stepped out of heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life amongst us. And then he went to the cross and died in our place, paying the full penalty for our sin, taking the full wrath of God in our place so that we could be clothed in his righteousness and spend eternity with him in heaven. That is unfathomable to me. I don't know about you, but I can't even begin to wrap my mind around it. But faith testifies to that fact. And again, we are surrounded by people who don't know that truth, who don't understand that truth, and they need to hear it, and we need to testify to it. Amen? Well, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again as we look through this incredible chapter, this faith chapter, 
the men and women here that you have laid out before us as examples of, of those who just trusted you and did what you said and had amazing results because of it. Lord, it is our desire to have greater faith. Lord, we know who you are, who you've revealed yourself to be, that you are a God who loves us, that you are an all-powerful God, that you are in control, that you are capable of only good. Yet so often, Lord, when we break it down to our own personal, individual level, our faith shakes. Our faith wavers. Lord, we ask that you strengthen our faith for whatever it is right now. Lord, that we would be able to defeat those unconquerable obstacles in front of us in faith. That we would tap into that unimaginable power in faith. And Lord, where you ordain, we would be able to navigate the difficulties in faith. Lord, we thank you that you redeem the unlovable because we're all there. We thank you for redeeming us. Lord, I thank you for those who, who made that first confession of you today as Lord and Savior. And I know that there's a party amongst the angels and we celebrate with them. Lord, you are so good. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you would all stand, we're gonna sing.